Well, hey, has anybody told you you had happy Easter? I think I may have done that. <laughs> Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, happy Easter. I'm glad you're here. Hey, everyone wants to experience life. I mean, they want to like taste it and feel it and live it to its fullest. Uh, I mean, even when we're kids, right? We, we wanted something. I remember getting into an argument one day with my dad when I was like a young teenager, uh, because he was restricting my behaviors. And, uh, and I was like all up in his face saying, this life is so boring that you got going on in your little house here. It's like, I couldn't wait to get out because I wanted to experience life. And this felt boring. We all want real, true, vibrant life. And we also get really anxious when we start to think about, you know what, there's areas of life I may never experience. Or there's places in life that we look around and we say, you know what, once it felt like I had life here, but now I'm not so sure. Feels like life has kind of left the party, as it were. You know, and even, man, after coming out of COVID and this pandemic, you know, we... A lot of people are asking the question, man, are we ever going to get life back the way we had it before? Or we look on the news and we're seeing just all of these horrible images from Ukraine and you, you look at some of these cities, major cities that have experienced so much devastation. We ask, is life ever going to return to these places? Or we turn inward and we ask like, man, this relationship, this friendship that I had that was so precious to me that now it seems like is destroyed. Am I ever gonna see life again in that relationship? Or maybe it's at work. Man, is this job ever gonna feel like it's got life kicking around in there again? Maybe it's our marriage. Hmm. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's just our outlook on the future. Am I ever gonna feel like there's real life going on here again? Well, if you ever ask those sort of questions, one, you're really normal because I think it's human. But I gotta also tell you, you're in a really good place today because Easter is all about life. It is all about life. The life of Jesus that has this underlying promise that even when all seems gone and that maybe hope is just outside of our reach, that life is still possible. Hope is possible. New life, restored life, a beautiful life in Jesus that he extends to each of us today. Today, rather than like going back to maybe some scriptures or places in the gospels that are very familiar to you about the resurrection story, you know, that shares about how Jesus was killed, crucified on Friday and then rose again to life on Sunday. Those of you that have been to church or 
come on Christmas and Easter, glad you're here, but you probably heard some of those stories, you know, maybe many times. Rather than go there to look at the story of Easter, we're going to do something a little different. We're going we're gonna to look at the story of Easter through a different event that happened shortly after that first Easter. It's found in Acts chapter 3. Now, if you're not familiar so much with the New Testament, the book of Acts is the story of all of those first followers of Jesus who were learning, like, how do we, like, live life now kind of animated with the life of Jesus? What is this going to look like? And so as we read through the book of Acts, man, there's stories, there's intrigue, they're hitting challenges, they're hitting opposition, but then it's punctuated with this, like, amazing life of Jesus that's going on, you know, in their, in their day-to-day lives. And on, in Acts chapter 3, we, we find that two of Jesus' closest followers, his name was Peter and John, they're headed to the temple. They're in Jerusalem. They're headed to the temple in the middle of the day to pray. But while they are on their way to the temple, they encounter a man. They encounter a guy who is seated there probably one of the gates right, leading right into the temple. And the man's crippled. And as we read later on in the story, we actually discover the guy was over 40 years old and he'd been crippled his entire life. He'd never walked. And of course, as you would suspect, why was the guy sitting there by the temple doors? He was looking for money. He was a beggar. It was the only way that he could subsist, you know, was to ask people as they were coming in the temple, hey, would you, would, you, would you spare something for me? And this is where the story begins. And we pick up in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. And it says this, it says, then Peter said, hey, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, this we we know that Peter was right-handed, reaches out his right hand. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts just around the corner. He goes with them walking and jumping and praising God. Man, talk about a restored life. Here's a guy that for over 40 years had been unable to even move on his own. I mean, picture, I mean, the guy could only sit, maybe lie down, and anywhere he needed to go, it required other friends to come alongside of him and carry him. He was completely immobile. I don't know what this would do to a man's psyche, you know, after several decades, but it wouldn't be good. Be hard. For all these years, rather than living life, he had been watching life go by. 
with no hope that life would ever be restored to his situation. But man, when these guys, Peter and John, show up and bring the life of Jesus, not just tell him about Jesus, but like bring the life of Jesus to him, and he experiences healing, I mean, he just goes a bit nuts. He was not like modestly, you know, like, oh, wow, Lord, thank you for my restored mobility. Come on. No, this guy, this guy was getting full on Pentecostal. You know what I mean? I mean, like full on, woo! I mean, he's dancing. It says jumping, and he's like at the top of his voice so that everyone could hear, God, thank you. Woo! Amazing. So beautiful. I want you to think for a moment about how this guy for 40 years had not been able to stand, not been able to walk. Something called atrophy sets into our bodies when we don't use our muscles. You know, it's like, uh, it's not that we want our muscles to shrivel up, they just do. If you've ever had like a cast on an arm or a leg and haven't used it for a while, man, when they take that cast off just after maybe a couple of months, like that like muscles all shriveled up and nasty looking. And uh, can you imagine this guy had never walked, never stood on his own, how his muscles would have just been like little string beans hanging down his legs. Here's what I like, I'm so amazed by part of this story, and because I, I think it kind of relates to us as well. When Jesus brought healing to him and restoration, he did not only just heal his feet and his ankles that had been somehow malformed or un- unable to be used. It says that he strengthened him, he made him strong. Because like what good would it have done to heal the ailment but then he had no muscles to use them, right? So it's like, well, God, looks like my feet and ankles are fixed. But I can't stand. You know, it's like he would have just still been laying there. Uh, and listen, in our own lives, when Jesus brings healing to our lives, he not only fixes the situation, heals the place of brokenness, but he also brings strength to our lives. He strengthens us. Jesus talked about the power of the Holy Spirit that would fill his followers, that we are literally empowered to live these lives that he's given us to live. And I love that. He was not only just healed, he was strengthened. So he could walk and jump around and praise the Lord. I'm also amazed by this. This guy did not set out to get a miracle that day. We're gonna read in a moment just the the surprise, right? That was on everyone's faces. But Peter and John, filled with the spirit of God, had something to give away, something that they possessed that they were able to give, something of the life of Jesus that they were able to give away that day. And you know, I just wonder who today Maybe you got drug here. Maybe you came here out of obligation, family duty, and you were not looking for a miracle in your own life today. Uh, you weren't looking for life. You were just looking for muffins and like, hey, what time is lunch, right? How long is this guy going to talk? 
Maybe Jesus would surprise you today. That's been my prayer for everybody here. And there was a lot of other people that day that got surprised. Because all these people who had been going to the temple year after year, decade after decade, were in the temple and they start hearing this commotion. So the story picks back up again. Here it is in verse 12. It says, when Peter saw this, that all these people were coming running to see what the commotion was, he says to them, fellow Israelites, why would this surprise you? Well, what? come on, guys, listen, all you are church folk, right? I mean, you've all heard the stories of this God that you claim to worship. Every story that these Israelites would have heard, all of these temple goers, right, that came running to figure out what was going on, they'd all grown up on the stories of creation that out of nothing, that, that God formed the world and, and breathed life into humanity and and they'd heard all the stories. I mean, how God had miraculously rescued their forefathers, right, out of uh, hundreds of years of enslavement in Egypt. How he had literally opened up the sea to let them pass through and escape from Egypt's grasp. And how God fed them miraculously out in the desert for 40 years when they couldn't, like, do agriculture and all the stuff that they were used to how God just miraculously provided, how God had shut the jaws of the lion, right, for Daniel. They'd grown up on these stories. But man, when they saw one in real life, they were like, what <laughs> is going on? So he asked this question, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? Is it by our own power? of godliness that we had made this man walk. They're like, hey, we ain't that good. But there is something that we have that we were able to give. See, those people that came running around, they knew in their minds that God was supposed to be this miracle-working, life-bringing God. But man, they hadn't been living, that wasn't their life experience. So they were surprised. But I'll tell you what, every time God moves, we're surprised. That's why angels, when they showed up on the scene, anywhere they went, first thing they said, don't be afraid, it's just us, but don't, fear not. First thing they say, and they were bringing good news, right? Like Peter and John were, I mean, it was like, this is good, but it's still shocking. It's like, wow. Next verse, Acts 3.13, Peter goes on talking to these surprised individuals saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. So he's grounding this like in their history, names that they knew. He said, that God has glorified his servant, Jesus. That God, the God of our forefathers, he glorified his servant, Jesus. Uh-oh, but you handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. He's saying Jesus, this glorified one, this one that God just completely filled with the capacity, fully God and fully man, fully given this capacity 
to heal the sick, to open blind eyes, to speak in ways that people had never heard that opened their understanding to who God truly is. And he says, this man who God glorified and you saw these things happening, you disowned him. Your own countrymen, your brother, right? You're this fellow Israelite, even though this Roman governor was gonna like trying to find ways to set him free because he knew he wasn't guilty. But you disowned him. And then Peter cuts to the very heart of this story. And it's here that we get this key that I believe will help unlock for us the truth about Easter and about life itself. Because it's in this next verse, Acts 3.15, that Peter looks at them and says these words, you killed the author of life. Would you just say the words author of life? Just say them out loud. The author of life. Fascinating phrase. We're gonna take a little time unpacking that in a moment. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Peter calls Jesus the author of life. But he, as he's looking around the crowd, he says, but you killed him. You killed him. Come on, take responsibility. You disowned him. Yelled, part of that crowd, crucify him, crucify him. But then he says something really surprising. This kind of like hidden in the text, but I think this was like Peter's heart, what he was saying. He's like, you killed him. But hey, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> you killed him. But wait, I've got some other news. The good news is that he is no longer dead. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Out of the darkest thing you could have ever done, the worst sin, the most vile thing you could have ever done, guess what God is Flip the script on that. What you thought was terminal isn't terminal. Where you thought there was only gonna be death and sorrow and grief and even guilt. Can you imagine, I mean, as those people went home that day after the crucifixion and they'd seen all of the wonders, you know, those, the earthquakes and the darkness in the sky and all of the stuff that was going on, they're going, whoa, 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 what a second. Maybe he was who he said he was. And now they hear this, he's alive. And we are witnesses of this. We are witnesses. We with our own eyes have seen this. And this last statement that we have seen this, I believe is so important because he's saying we are witnesses to these facts. You killed him. God raised him. It's like he's saying like, listen guys, hey, put us on trial. We're witnesses of these facts. We, like, 
to our core know that this is the absolute truth. In fact, you know, it's, they knew this so deeply embedded into their story, their lived story, that all of them would go to their graves, most of them as martyrs. John was thrown into prison for life. But all of his followers went to like martyrs' graves, still proclaiming, hey guys, you can kill me, but I ain't changing my story because I know what is true. Jesus is alive. Listen, you don't go, you don't go to the grave as a martyr for a lie or like to cover up some conspiracy theory. They knew. They were witnesses of the fact. Jesus dead on Friday, alive on Sunday. So let's go back to that phrase, because I want to, like I said, I want to unpack this a little bit. I think it's so important, and I think this is such a key to the story of Easter. Why did Peter call Jesus the author of life? It's because Jesus is not just a character in this story of life. He is the author. He is the author of all life. He created this story that we are characters within. It's in 1 Corinthians 8, 6 that the Apostle Paul, one of the, one of the guys that was like, key to helping spread the story of Jesus or even outside of Jerusalem and through that Middle East world. He was writing to some of his friends in the city of Corinth and he says this, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. I want you to think about that. He's saying that Jesus created the world, but then he also, he's the one who sustains the world. That we don't live like on our own. We live through him. We live, our lives are because Jesus said, have life. Life. Children. Next generation, next generation. It's because this is God's idea. He, Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things because he is the author of the story. Listen, because Jesus is the author, he has the copyright on life. He owns it. He is the owner of the story of the universe. Because he's the author of life. Listen, if Jesus were only a character, I want you to think from, put on your thing caps for a moment. If Jesus was only a character in the story, he could have been killed off. Like all the rest of us characters, kind of like when we end our days, when our, the part of our story is finished, whether it's few days or long, guess what? We all die. We're all gone from the story. And listen, even if you do not yet believe in Jesus 
as the one who went to the cross to pay the price for our sin and, and then was resurrected. Even if you have not like fully put your trust in that, even if you, you probably would likely agree that if he was only a character, he was a pretty good one. Right, I mean, the single greatest life-changing, history-forming character in all of humanity was Jesus Christ. Even if you only just think he was a character in the story and not the author. I mean, more than Muhammad, more than Buddha, more than Gandhi, more than fill in like your grandma's name, more than anyone else, he has shaped the story of humanity. So much so that over 2,000 years since his time on earth, there are over 2 billion people around the globe. More than a quarter of the entire global population lifts up the name of Jesus. That Jesus is alive, that Jesus is Lord. But here's the thing, and here's why I don't believe that Jesus was just a character in this story. Characters can be eliminated. Gone from the story, but not the author. But not the author. You cannot eliminate an author from his or her own story. You just can't do it. It's their story. Like, listen, I could have brought like all of Tom Clancy's books, right, and just stacked them up here because I've read every single one of his novels. And they'd probably stack about this, this tall. His character, anybody know who his famous character was? Tom Clancy, many movies made, anybody think? Jack Ryan, okay? Thank you. Jack Ryan. Can you, I mean, how foolish would it be to think that Jack Ryan, a character in one of Tom Clancy, could have killed Tom Clancy? You can't kill the author. Now, Tom Clancy could have killed Jack. That almost happened many times in the stories. But it doesn't work the other way around. It doesn't work. You cannot eliminate the author from his own story. And guess what, guys? Jesus is the author of life. I hope Easter's making a little bit more sense to you now. I hope you're getting that key. Oh, is the author, yes, people killed him. He, he died. He was gone. He bled out for you and for me. And for, but he was not gone. He was not eliminated from the story because he is the author of life. If you're the author, guess what you do? You just write yourself back into the story. And that's what Jesus did on that first Easter. He wrote himself, guess what? Here I am because he is the author of life. But listen, here's something now that I think that you and I have to grapple with before we go on today. We have to acknowledge that when Peter was looking at that crowd saying, you disowned Jesus, you killed him. We have to recognize like our own complicity in that. And you're like, oh, I wasn't there. I wasn't one of those people saying crucify him, crucify him. But you know what? Here's, here's what 
we just get so wrong, and it's a little crazy, but oftentimes we think that this story of life centers on me. I think this is all about me. I can eliminate from the story whoever I want to eliminate from the story because this is my story. Not God's or anybody else. This is my story. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if we're really narcissistic, I mean, if we really think we're so self-focused and we have this exaggerated self of our sense of self-importance, we might even go so far as to think that we are the author of these stories of ours. That we're the author. And whenever we do that, we run the risk of killing off Jesus. Listen, whenever he doesn't fit our narrative. Well, this is a story I'm writing. That Jesus, what you say, it doesn't fit. You're gone. And we eliminate Jesus, as surely as they did physically 2,000 years ago. Maybe we're a little kinder than that. Maybe we're like, I don't want to kill Jesus. I just want to push him to the margins of the page in my story. So, you know, I'll, I'll show up Christmas, Easter, put on a nice jacket, maybe a tie. Beautiful tie, by the way. And we may do that, but, but really we, we just marginalize him. Whenever he starts to encro- encroach, like find his way into the story that we want to write, we just like, Jesus over to the side. We kill him off or we marginalize him. But we certainly don't put our full trust and faith in his hands as the author. And then whenever we start experiencing pain, you know what we do? We damn him. Right? I mean, let's be real. We start to experience some pain in this story that we thought that we were like, we're the main character or we're the author, and we start to experience pain in our story. It's like, I did not write this into my story. Damn you. We kill him off. We disown him. We push him to the side. And we even say that he's evil for experiencing the darkness and pain in the story that we're experiencing. Because if we were the authors and we're writing this story, typically we don't look for a God like Jesus. Typically there's a couple other types of gods that we would write into our story. One is like the genie God, because the genie God just wants my best. I'm going to live my best life now. Genie God. He's going to give me, man, the best, hottest spouse ever. He's going to give me the greatest job I'm going to have the most fantastic health, and he's going to give me children that are both beautiful and intelligent and obedient because the the genie God. And we just have this expectation that's like, hey, God, do this. Boom. And guess what else the genie God will do? 
He'll go beat up anybody that I disagree with. Do we think that we can just kind of like order them around and kind of like do our bidding? Give me this, give me that, go do that. Our errand boy, the genie God. Typically, like that's the kind of God that we would write into our story. Or there's another kind of God that we would write into our story. It's the therapist God. The therapist God. Because I just want someone like to cry on who will lift me up when I'm feeling down. And will never, ever confront the evil that is lurking within my story, within my soul. Never going to point stuff out in my life because he just wants me happy. He just wants me to feel good about myself. So we write into our story this therapeutic, therapist God. He's like, he'll never challenge like, dude, you got an addiction. No, that's not the therapist God. The therapist God is more like, oh, bro, it's okay. You just have a personality that's a bit overly compulsive. But hey, you were born this way. So just run with it. Just go. You be you. Pat yourself on the back. Let me give you a hug. But that's not our Jesus. Because our Jesus knows that to experience real life, we're not always going to get what we want. We're going to go through stuff that is going to help shape us and help us to be people who learn to persevere when life gets challenging. And that we don't just get pats on the back. We actually get things pointed out in our life that are like, hey, this is going to lead to death. And I created you to thrive and have life. But Jesus isn't a character in our story. He is the God of Easter, the author of life. And that is what Peter was reminding that crowd and I think he's reminding us of today. So how does the story end? Peter's sharing all this and then he kind of turns the page and I guess Ellie to come up and play for us as we get ready to conclude. The next verse in Acts 3.16, he says this to these people that he had just said, you killed him, but guess what? It's not all bad news. Jesus is alive. Then he goes on and says, by faith in this name, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man, who you see and you know. You know this guy. You know his story. This is how he was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see because now you are witnesses of this fact. See, we were witnesses of the fact that you killed him. You disowned and killed Jesus. You completely thought you could marginalize him from your story. But guess what, folks? He's the author. But here's the good news. By faith in him, you can experience what this man just experienced. Because you 
are now witnesses, just like we were witnesses to Jesus rising up from the grave. Friends, this is how we do it. We turn our hearts and our lives over to the author of life. We repent for thinking that life is all about us, that we're the main characters, or completely going crazy and thinking that we're the author of our own story. And we kill off Jesus, marginalize it. We repent of that. God, I am sorry that I have lived my life thinking that it was all about me. God, I invite you into my story. Jesus, I want to make you the main thing. That's called making him Lord. Because whatever's your Lord is your main thing. Maybe you've been living as your own Lord. Maybe you've been like the main thing in your life. Maybe it's been your kids. Maybe it's been your job. Maybe it's been this thing that you're working on, this ideology that you're, you proclaim so boldly. And, but until we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, this story is gonna be not only messed up, it's gonna lead to death. So we repent and we invite him in. We say, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. Jesus, I believe this witness. I believe, Lord, that you did die, but you rose again in power. And that because you're the author of life, you can come alongside me. Even in those places of brokenness, even in those places where I thought life might not ever return to those darkest, most damaged hours. And the author of life, just as surely as he brought life to that man who for 40 years was stuck. Friends, right now I tell you that just as surely as that man was not only healed but strengthened, your life is not stuck. Receive Jesus. Open your hearts to the author of life and watch what he will begin to do. For some, like this man, it may be instant. For others, there may be some of us that have to like learn to walk again in his empowerment and strength. But either way, it's good because it leads to life instead of to death. Would you close your eyes with me and just create this moment of contemplation on all these things. And I want to take you in your minds back to the beginning of that story where Peter said to the, to the man, so, you know, I don't have money to give you, but what I do have, I give you. And the man was healed. Listen, he knew that he had the life of Jesus in him, so much so that he knew that he could even give it away. He knew, I have this. I have Jesus. And I wanna ask you today, friends, do you have that kind of confidence? 
If you were to walk out of here today and encounter a friend on the sidewalk, you go, hey, tell me about what's going on in your life. Would you be able to say, I have Jesus. I have him. He is my Lord. He has saved me. He has cleaned up all the parts of my story that didn't fit and didn't belong. And now he is, oh man, he's my Lord and he's empowering my day. He's empowering me to write a new story. So I'm asking you, friends, do you know, like Peter did, that you have Jesus? And I'm gonna ask you, just with everybody's eyes closed, because this is a moment between you and Jesus and me. Do you wanna know that you have him? Tell him so right now. Tell him so right now, Jesus, I open my heart and my life to you. Jesus, as the author of life, I open my story to you. Jesus, come. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, I want to serve you with my days. I'm done writing my own story. I repent from all of that. And now I turn to you. Friends, I'm telling you that if that is your prayer, not only does Jesus hear it, but he has been longing for this moment because he loves you, because he did write you into his story. And if any of you today would just want to acknowledge the fact that like I just prayed that prayer, I want Jesus to be the author of my life. Would you just raise your hand and just acknowledge it's before God and before me, right? Just keep it up for a moment. Yeah, those of you on my right, your left, I'm seeing you. Yes, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, sir, the red shirt. Yeah, beautiful. Man, thank you guys. Praise the Lord, yes. Anybody else that just wanted to say yes? Anybody out in the courtyard, wave big. Yeah, I agree with you, I agree with you. Thank you, ma'am, I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else says, that's me, that's me today. Just one more moment. Yeah, I see you. Jesus sees you. God, thank you, Lord, for your story. It is so good. It is so rich. It is so beautiful. And thank you, Lord, that you wrote us into it because of your love because of your love. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, friends, listen, you see some trusted friends of mine who are right up here at the front. Now, I ask that if you need prayer for any reason today, whether it's up here at the front or there's Dana that's in the courtyard, I'm gonna ask you to stop and get prayer. And if you were one of those who said yes to Jesus today, not only do we have a Bible for you on the way out if you don't have your own Bible, but we have a little booklet. I actually wrote it some time ago. It's just called Yes. And it explains what it means to say yes to Jesus and then how to like live that out. Very simple, but we'd like to give that to you. So get prayer and then on the way out, in the bright green jacket with a big smile is Pastor Lisa. 
And she's got Bibles back there. She has yes booklets. And don't forget, everybody, please pick up a 260 booklet. We just started the book of Mark this past week. We're in Mark chapter five tomorrow. I would love for you to read along with me and our church family. Man, you guys are loved. Be blessed. Have a great Easter. You're loved. <laughs>